You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, Red Sea. My name is Matt Boyd, and I have been invited to come and preach your your next sermon in your series this week, um, I am the pastor of a newer church plant called Sojourn Church. We're over in northeast Portland, the Concordia neighborhood to be exact. And so uh, if you're familiar with that area of town, we live real close to Concordia University, and we meet right there in the heart of that neighborhood right off of Alberta. Um, our vision as a church plant is to be a group committed to Jesus in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. And we do this by living our three main values which are gospel, family, and mission. So if you spend any amount of time with us at all, you're going to hear those three things. And not just so they're three slogans, it's not just three words we like to throw out there, but really because the gospel is good news, and the gospel is what changes all of our lives. We're family to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, and really our bond and our relationship, even what you guys have here this morning, should go deeper than our old blood family. And then mission. We've all been given this mission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. That's both here in Portland and around our world. Uh, As Josh mentioned, you guys do things, I think he said, in Uganda. And so I think that's excellent. I think that's great. Full disclosure, so you don't think I'm just up here giving a sales pitch. Josh gave me permission to recruit you guys. And so I'm going to take the opportunity to at least tell you a little bit about uh, what we're doing. And I, I appreciate that about Josh. I appreciate that about Red Sea. They says, man, we're, we're open-handed, we're kingdom-minded, we want to collaborate. And so Northeast Portland, although it's not extremely far from North Portland, it is far enough within our context when you think about the, the 20-minute walkable communities that we hear so much about in our city. And so on a serious note, we are looking for some team members, some core people who would love to come and help us get off the ground to see a new church form, a new church start. And so if you happen to live in Northeast Portland, if you happen to live over near the Concordia neighborhood, and you kind of hear that and you think, well, maybe, maybe there's something to that. And I know it would be hard to leave Red Sea, a place that you love. And so uh, for the record, I'm open to multiple ways that this could work. It could be, man, come commit six months, nine months, or a year and just help us. And then you could come back and, and, and plug in here at Red Sea. Also, we meet on Sunday evening, so the good news is you could actually do both. Now, talk to your leaders. Make sure that Chris, Royce, and, and Josh all know that, hey, we're going we're gonna to be kind of doing both, helping both churches. I'm definitely open to that. I don't know if they are fully, but I'm definitely open to that. Uh, so we meet Sunday evenings, which is great, at 5 o'clock. You're all invited to come out tonight. You're really welcome to come any week that you would like. But one of the benefits of that is that it allows me to be free on Sunday mornings uh, so that my family can sometimes worship at other churches like Red Sea to see, one, that just what is God doing in our city? I believe that God is moving here and to see how he's working through other leaders and other churches. And then it frees me up to come in and, and fill the pulpit whenever there's a need um, to, to do these type of things. For the last couple of months, you guys have been in a series in the book of Exodus called The Deliverer. And I've been asked to come and pick up right where Royce left off last week. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up in chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Feel free, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, to go ahead and grab it and, and flip there or, or open your phone and, and swipe up or swipe left. No, not talking about a dating app, but if you have your phone uh, with the Bible app on it. And you can go ahead and, and get to Exodus. Exodus, if you're new to church, if you're, if you're new, not familiar with the Bible, uh, open the Bible up. Genesis is the very first book that you'll find. Flip over until you find the second book, which is the book of Exodus, and then just flip a few pages until you find the big number 17, and that is where we will be this morning. How many of you have ever taken a long road trip? 
Think of the, the kind of trips you probably take in the summer, especially in the Pacific Northwest where we've gone through the rainy and cloudy winters and it's time to, time to explore. Maybe it's down to the coast or maybe it's to the mountains or you head north towards Canada or south towards California. But have you ever found yourself where all the snacks are gone? You've gone through, you're towards the end of the trip at this point. There's just crumbs all over the floor. If you're like me, you've got goldfish everywhere, gummies stuck to the seats. And so you've, the snacks are gone and you realize, I forgot to stock the cooler with enough water. And so the water's been gone for miles. My family was in this situation last August. We went up to Port Angeles, Washington. We hopped a ferry to Victoria, British Columbia. If you haven't been there, by the way, it's a beautiful place, a great place to vacation. And so on the way back, we said, let's take the scenic route, which goes way around the Olympic National Park, not even knowing exactly how much longer it's going to take us. And so we, we start driving that way. It's beautiful scenery. Many of you have probably seen these parts of Washington. We stop at the coast. And then we get to this little town called Forks, Washington. And Forks has some restaurants. It's got some gas stations, but there's not a whole lot there. And I said, we looked at each other. It was around 6 p.m. I said, let's keep driving. We'll, we'll drive a little bit further, and then we'll hit the next spot. So we keep driving, and we keep driving, and we keep driving, and we realize there's not a next spot. There's, there's nothing out there at all. Uh, and eventually, we do see a sign that says, gas station, three miles this way. Well, we're going this way. And I'm like many men, I'm kind of stubborn, thinking, no, we're, that's going to take a six miles round trip out of the way. Thankfully, men, listen to me, thankfully I listened to my wife this day, and I did say, okay, let's venture out, let's get some gas. The gas station was actually closed, the pumps were still open, but I couldn't even go in and get snacks. And so we still found ourselves hungry, and we were thirsty, and, and we, we wanted dinner, you know, and the hours are racking up. So we find ourselves complaining when you have a, at that time, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, they're all complaining that they are hungry. My wife and I are complaining, and then you kind of start that bickering of, why didn't you pack more snacks, or I thought you were going to fill the, uh, the cooler with water this morning, and it, you guys can probably imagine the scenario that we went through. And so eventually, after driving about three and a half to four hours, we get into this small town somewhere else in Washington, I don't remember the name of it, and we see a green and yellow sign that says, Subway. And so at that moment, it was like manna came down from heaven as we were able to get the fresh baked bread and fill it with veggies and meat. And then they even had this drink machine where you could get as much as you wanted to drink. And it's about 11 p.m. at this point. And so we thankfully were able to finally get that and, and have our bellies full and, and quench our thirst. I'll tell you that story this morning because we're going to jump back into Exodus where Royce left off last week. And he actually already told you, if you were here for his sermon, he kind of gave you a little hint there that we're going to run into another episode of the Israelites murmuring. And this time it's going to involve water again. So go ahead and read with me now in Exodus 17. I'm going to read the first seven verses. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and encamped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Pray with me this morning as we get started in the passage. God, we just want to come to you this morning and thank you for the opportunity to step away from the busyness of our week, to step away from the stresses of life and whatever has happened, and to spend a few moments pressing in to your word. God, I ask this morning that as we look at another story of the Israelites and yet another story of them murmuring and complaining, God, that we would be reminded that you are our provider, that you are the one who gives us provision for our daily life, for our daily needs. And God, that we can ultimately see that you provide us with yourself. God, that you, you, you send your son for us. And God, I ask that your spirit would be in this place and that you would move throughout this place and speak to the people. God, move me out of the way. Allow my words to be your words. God, open the hearts, open the ears, and remove the blinders from people's eyes. In your name we pray. Amen. So the premise of this passage as we get started, it seems initially like they have a water problem, which by the way, if you live in Northeast Portland, we did have a water problem yesterday. And if you guys heard about the water main break, there was thousands and thousands of gallons of water flooded Alberta Street. Businesses had to close. There was water all down my street. We were without power for six hours. And so it appears there's a water issue going on here. But this is the third time, if you haven't been in here, this is the third time that we're going to see the Israelites grumbling against Moses out of concern for their own physical provision. The first time was in Exodus 15, verses 24 through 25. Let me read that for us. He said, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. And so we see in Exodus 15, they were were thirsty, there was water, the water wasn't good throw a big log in there, and the water's sweet, and they can drink the water. Then we see a second time, which Royce preached for us last week in Exodus 16, uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." And, and as, as you know, they wake up, and then manna is raining down from, uh, from heaven. Subway was there. The, the green and yellow light was on. And so we see that complaining and grumbling, this is a continual theme with the Israelites. It's a sign of their ungratefulness, a sign of their self-centeredness, their immaturity, their insecurity. When I think about complaining, I think about my three children. If you, were, you probably saw them here on the front row this morning. That's what I think about when I think about complaining. I think about taking long road trips through the Olympic National Forest, and I think about them in the back of our Honda Pilot fighting with one another and complaining about any little thing. He took my Legos, and he took this, and, and hitting one another. I also think about their schoolwork. They come home, and they want to play, especially on these nice days. We're starting to have some nice days. I know they're not going to last because we're, we're still in that, in that transition time, but right now, God is blessing these nice days. So my kids get home, and like all of us, they want to go outside. No, you got to do homework, and I get to hear them complain about, I hate homework. I hated homework too, but you got to do it. So here we are again, and the people are complaining because they have forgotten that if God, that's ultimately who they're complaining against, if God could part the Red Sea, plug on your name here this morning, if he can part the Red Sea, then do you not think he could provide water for them when they found themselves without water? Like as I take a step back and I think, okay, if God did this, he, he, he parted this Red Sea, it seems like water is a lot easier to provide than parting in a huge body of water. But they doubt that he can do this. And they're led to this place, 
which they thought to be a resting place. You kind of get that sense that, that they're headed towards this place, and, and they sense, man, this is going to be a place that we can rest, we can, we can refuel, we can get some water. And that probably had them excited. But the brochures didn't live up to the hype. You've probably been there. The brochures, I don't even know if people use brochures anymore. Let's say the website. The website didn't live up to the hype. You go on the website as you're driving. Usually my family, that's my, I'm driving, tell my wife, look up a website, we need somewhere to stay. Man, this place looks great. It's got a nice swimming pool. Looks like they have a nice complimentary brec- breakfast. And then you get there. And you pull in, and the pool has got green algae all over it, and they've closed it down for renovation. So the kids are upset. Now they're complaining. The bed sheets have holes all in them, so your wife's not 100% sure she even wants to sleep in this bed. And then you take a shower that, that doesn't drain, which probably that's, that's one of my pet peeves. You ever been to a place where you take a shower, and the shower maybe even feels great, and then you realize you're standing in three inches of your own filth? I hate that. That's one of my pet peeves. So, so the website and the brochures do not live up to the hype of this resting place. Ends up not being a resting place at all as they discover that there is no water. This place that we've been led to, we are thirsty. And now we have no water to drink. So they had a bad situation at at Mar where they they had water. There was water there, but it was bitter water. So they couldn't drink the water. But as we know, God provided sweet water for them. And then we see they had been hungry in the wilderness. They're complaining, but what happens? They wake up and God is raining down bread from heaven. But now they're at a place where there's no water at all. And so they once again get to where they question God. Before, maybe before, because there was at least some water, it was bad water, but the water was there. So God was able to change that water. But now there's no water. And before we're too quick to judge, let's just be honest with ourselves this morning. We are just like these people. We easily find ourselves grumbling. We easily find ourselves complaining. And you would think by now, after all they've been through, that at least one person would know what to expect. The water was bad, and we see he threw a big log in there, and now the water's good. Now all of a sudden it's sweet, and we can drink it. We have no food. We, we wake up the next morning, and now there's food that's been provided for us. So you would think by now at least one person would kind of step off to the side and say, wait a minute, I've caught on, guys. Wait a minute. Stop. Stop the complaining. Stop the grumbling. Time out. Remember what happened here? Now we got some water. And remember, we were hungry, and now we got bread. So you think by now that, that at least one person has wised up and that they would be in great anticipation of, guys, wait, 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 let's just see what God's about to do. Because remember, he's already done these things. Or they would, you would think they would at least cry out to God in prayer. God, yet here we are again. We found ourselves in the, another similar situation. Please provide as you have always provided. You, you would think that at least one person would do that rather than complaining. But instead, what do they do? They show their immaturity, and they return to what they've always done, which is murmuring. They return to this exact same place. Look back at verse 2 and 3 with me. It says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? We see this time the murmuring turns ugly. As they're quarreling with Moses, which when they're quarreling with Moses, really what that represents is they're quarreling with God. They're not only questioning the leader that God has given them, they're questioning God himself. Maybe that's even happened here before at Red Sea. I'm sure not with any of you, but you know, God has provided leaders. He's given you Chris and Royce and Josh, and maybe there's times where you're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm questioning this. But really you're, you're lacking a trust and questioning God in that moment. And so they deny God's sovereign protection as they forget what he has already protected them from. 
up to this point, they've experienced deliverance from plagues. They've crossed the Red Sea, and the Lord has provided both food and water. And yet, here we find them showing a hardness of heart similar to Pharaoh and the Egyptians before them. And I think we're, we read this, and we are, I think we are quick to judge in most cases. Think, man, these people are, they've lost their mind. Have they not seen what God has done for them? But I want you also this morning to think about your own life and think, man, God, has, he's provided for you all along the way. This is later described in, in Psalm 95, verses 7 through 9. He says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And so the people, they find fault with their leader, Moses, and they ask Moses, they look at him and say, Moses, we need you to justify your leadership. And they insist because they are still thirsty. Moses, you're, you're not providing. You're not coming through the way that we thought. And because of that, we are denying the validity of your position. We are questioning your leadership. We don't think you're actually the leader that you thought you were. But this points, by this point, Moses is used to them questioning him. And he's really used to them questioning God. We saw in chapter 16, 7 and 8, he says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And so by this point, Moses has at least wised up. He's, he's used to this. Man, here they come again. Here they come again. God, why, why do you have me leading these people? And maybe, maybe your leaders have been there. God, why do you have me leading these people that continue to do these things? But we do the same thing today. And we accuse God of trying to harm us within our trial. You ever been there where you're questioning God? God, what are you doing? You know, maybe it's not so blatant as it is here. But maybe in your heart, you've questioned, God, what, what are, you, are you even at work? If I can be transparent, I, get, I find myself there. I moved across the country to start this church in Northeast Point and believe God called me to do it. But there's days when God, God, what are you doing? Are you moving in our city? The people around me don't seem to have any interest in you. Have you found yourselves there? And we should remember that he, God has brought us through a greater exodus, and he is ultimately worthy of our trust. In verse 4, he continues, he says, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And so what's really going on here is, is the people have, essentially they've accused God of a plot to murder. Because they've said, God, why did you bring us out to this place to kill us, us and all of our children? And so there's really an accusation on God of, one, questioning what, who God is and what God is doing, but also accusing that God is, God, are you trying to bring me out here to kill us? What, what do you think you're doing here? And now we see them going after Moses, right? They, they pick up the stones and say, we're ready, we're ready to kill this guy and get rid of him. Moses has always been doubtful that the people would even trust or accept his leadership. But now we see him expressing more of a desperate fear, and he believes that the people may actually kill him by stoning him. Can you imagine that? If you, all of us are leaders in our own right, whether you lead your children at home or whether you're a teacher or, or a pastor or you're a manager or, or whatever with business, can you imagine the people you're leading, picking up stones, feeling threatened by them? That's where Moses has found himself. And where the Israelites always turn to complaining, we at least see Moses do a proper response as far as he turns to God and he cries out to God. And we see the Lord answer him in the next set of verses. But what about you? 
Is that your first reaction when you find yourself with life not going the way that you had planned? When you, when you find yourself with, with trouble, do you have faith-filled prayer like Moses? Or do you grumble and do you find yourself anxious like the Israelites? Where, where do you find yourself? I, feel, I fear that some of us in the church, and I'm kind of speaking broadly of the church universal, but I fear that some of us in the church have a condition, a condition we call functional atheism, and that you don't believe in God the way that you say you believe. And that comes out when you, when you worry and when you're anxious. It's real easy on a Sunday morning it's real easy with, with Tim up here leading and, and the words on the screen to raise our hands and to proclaim these songs and to sing them and clap and go through the motions. But what about out there? What about when you leave this place? And you, something as small as maybe stepping in a piece of gum or, or going to a restaurant and your kids get in a, in a, in a fight. What, what about these times? What about when you go find bad news tomorrow at work? Your project did not go the way that you thought. And, and your, your boss rips it to shreds and says, go do it all over again. Do you find yourself anxious? Do you find yourself worrying? Do you find yourself complaining? Or do you find yourself posturing yourself and going to God and trust? In verses 5 and 6, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. It's as if God has called the people, it's as if the people have called God to the witness stand because they're questioning God. So, think about a a court. If you've never been in court, you've probably at least watched Judge Judy or something like that. So, we kind of are familiar with how it works. So, it's as if the people said, All right, God, we want to put you on the witness stand, and we want you to give an answer. Now, God doesn't owe it to them to show up and give an answer because he's God. But you know what we see? God shows up. And one, he provides water for them. So he shows up, he provides water where there was no water, but he also provides an answer to who he is, which is, is really the, the really more important part of that. It's that, yes, they get the physical water, they're able to quench their thirst, but then God responds with who he is. What's amazing here is that God, it's not only he can do a miracle, he can provide the water, which we, we know that he can do that. But he's willing to do that for them after whining so much. To me, that's part of the amazing part of this story. It's not so much that God provided water. We, we know, especially us, we have the entire Bible. We know that God can do this, and God has done this. And he continues to show himself faithful and show himself strong. But the fact that he does it for them even after so much whining and complaining, he still follows through and he provides them with water. What I call this is grace. And if you know anything about grace, grace is sweet. It's something that they did not deserve. How many of you parents have been there with children? You've, maybe you've told your, your child, hey, you're going to get ice cream tonight. I make that mistake a lot of times. I'm the one who's the bad parent, and I give all my kids the sweets. I brought home some uh, little bunnies yesterday with sugar all over them, and my wife always gets on to me. But maybe you've promised them, hey, you're going to get, you know, if you're good today or whatever, you're going to get ice cream after dinner. But then your kids are complaining, and, and, and you say, you know what, we're done. We're not doing this, which we find ourselves in that situation a lot. But maybe there's been a time that you said, you know what, I am going to give you the ice cream. But you don't deserve the ice cream because you complained all through dinner. You and your brothers were bickering back and forth, but I'm still going to give it to you. You know why? It's this thing called grace. We've actually done that in my house a little bit. Now, they wish we would use grace more often because they want that ice cream every day. But it is a great time to be able to parent and teach, say, look, you don't deserve this, but I'm still going to provide it for you. So they didn't deserve the water, but God provides them with the water. So God doesn't owe that to the Israelites, and God doesn't owe it to us. But you know what? God chooses to stand before us, 
even though that we are the ones that are, that are supposed to stand before God. We are the ones that are supposed to be on trial, are we not? We are the ones who willingly chose to sin and to break our relationship with God. So we are the ones who should be on the witness stand, but God chooses to respond to us by providing himself. Think about the smitten rock. The smitten rock provides a great picture for us of Christ, who eventually would be smitten on a cross, becoming the fountainhead of blessing, the redeemer of the world. The command, you shall strike the rock, is understood to be God's command to Moses to strike himself. So he's just saying, God, strike me. The result that God himself is a source of life-giving water that flowed from the rock. Let that sink in for a minute. That Christ came to be the rock that was smitten for us. To provide us ultimately with living water. This incident provides the background in the New Testament when Paul says, The rock was Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, he says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Finally, in verse 7, he says, And they called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The place where the event took place bears the name for Israel. Really, it reflects the two events that that happened here which really represents their lack of faith. That's what's happening here is the Israelites have a lack of faith even after God has continued to provide for them. And so Masa means testing, Meribah means quarreling. So these act as a reminder for the people of of what it is that they're doing, what it is that's happened. And the Israelites decide to test the Lord by ultimately doubting his very presence. And if you've been following along in this study, if if you've been here for most of these sermons, you should know that the presence of God was with them. It was, it was a cloud that represented his presence that was right there next to them the entire time. So that was still there. That was with them. And yet, even though they've got this, this tangible sign, this symbol right there, they can see it. They still question God. Now, I was, I was explaining this story to my boys last night in preparation for this morning. And you know, so we t- well, I asked them, you know, do, we, do we have that pillar, that cloud of, of smoke or whatever it looked like? Do we have that following us around? We don't. I mean, we probably wish that we would. Wouldn't that be nice if you're just walking around and, all right, God's there. God's, you know, kind of like your dog's next to you. God's there. Not to undermine God by saying that, but God's there with you. But we still have his presence, right? We still have his presence around us. It may not be this tangible cloud that we see, but God is still here. God is still present with his body, his believers. This was an insult to God. Think if you have children and it's Christmas morning, and they've opened gift after gift after gift from grandparents and from you and from others, and there's wrapping paper all over the floor. There's boxes everywhere. The, the child's basically buried in wrapping paper, at least up to their knees. And maybe some of you experience this. I hope not. But it's, it's like this. So you've, you've continued to give these things to them, and then, then your child turns to you and says, am I going to get anything for Christmas? And, and you're like, what? Like, I've sacrificed. I've provided for you. I've gone above and beyond. I've given you all of these things. If you're like my house, most of those things are probably on their list. It's not just whatever stuff. And they still, they look at you with this heart and posture of, am I going to get anything? Am I going to get what I actually wanted? That, that is an insult to you as a parent, but that, that's what they're doing here. They're insulting God. God, are you going to provide? Can you do this? Or this would be like me entering the kitchen. My wife, who's on the front down here, she's a great cook. She's from Argentina. So very, very good Argentinian food. 
And this is actually a regular occurrence at my house. So if anybody ever wants to come over for dinner, I just volunteered her to do more of this. But it'd be like me walking up from our basement. I'm seeing all of the burners with steam coming out of different pots and pans. The oven light is on. And it looks like Thanksgiving meal is going to happen. But this is just a regular day at my house because God has blessed me beyond what I deserve. So I walk in and it's like me coming upstairs. Am I ever going to get any dinner? Am I going to get anything to eat tonight? Because I'm hungry. Right? Now, now my wife, like any Latina, would, would likely want to backhand me. She wouldn't necessarily, but she would want to backhand me. She would shut down and, ooh, I got to go to McDonald's or something that night. I'm not going to get dinner. But that is what's happening here. They are insulting God after God has provided time and time again. God, can you, can you do this, God? Are you really who you say you are? That is what we see them doing. And Israel's great problem was that they refused to remember who God is and what God has done. One obvious remedy to our own discontent and unbelief is to remember what God has done for us. Once again, have you found yourself there? Have you found yourself forgetting who God is and what he's done for you? This is exactly what we see happening with the Israelites here. They're hurling insults at God. Just, Just let that sink in for a minute. At God. It's one thing to hurl insults at your siblings. It's even a, one thing to in, hurl insults at your, your parents. It's another level to hurl them at your spouse. But this is God that we're talking about. The creator God. The God who created everything, who provides salvation for us. This is who they're insulting. But you know what? We do the exact same thing. Let's just be real. We all find ourselves hurling insults at God. Now today, most of us do this a little more passively. And we almost make it like we think that's okay because, well, my mind's more passive. It's not as blatant as we see the Israelites do. Royce last week, I think it was Jerry Bridges that he, he quoted who said these, we call these acceptable sins. That if I do it passive, it's acceptable to God that, that I do this. This will be okay. That's how we treat it. But we find ourselves where we doubt that God will provide for us, even though God's continued to provide for us. And we also forget to pray like the Israelites and we start to demand things from God. Most of us, when we find ourselves in stressful and tough life situations, which life does just happen, but what do we find ourselves doing? If you're, if you're like me, oftentimes when something happens, one of the first things I do, I didn't actually bring it up here, is I'll grab my phone. Let me, find, let me Google a solution to the problem that I'm dealing with. Or let, me, let me find jobs right away. I think I, I just found out I might be losing my job. Let me, let, me, let me Google this. Or I'll call a friend or I'll call my wife. And then after all of these steps that I take, maybe I'll find myself going to God. So I find myself just like the Israelites. And I I sense I'm not the only one in the room. If so, then I'm sure I'm not invited back to preach again. (laughs) And so maybe you're going through something like that this morning. Maybe you you lost your job this week or recently. You've, You've found yourself, perhaps for the first time, without employment. Or maybe, maybe there's been sickness. We're kind of coming out of flu season. Maybe there's some sickness that's going on at your house. And you thought it was, you, you bleached everything. You thought it was gone. And now you found yourself, it's recycling through again. And you're just trying to throw your hands up like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Or maybe on a more serious note, maybe, maybe you were diagnosed or someone in your family is diagnosed with an incurable disease. I've got an uncle who lives in Virginia Beach. He went in two weeks ago to get some back relief. He's been on disability from work for years because of back problems. So he's thinking, I'm going to get some back relief. And they discover that he's got tumors all over his back and his brain. 
Now he's in the hospital. They've given him maybe a year to live. He may never come back home from the hospital. So imagine you go in two weeks ago thinking you're getting some back relief and you'll be home that night. And now you've been in the hospital for two weeks. He's already gone through four radiation treatments. And you've been told at best you'll have a year and it'll be in this hospital. So, so imagine going through something like this. Or maybe you're having marriage issues. We all have them. Let's just be real. We all have them. Marriage is great, but it's not always easy. Or maybe you're having parenting issues. You just can't get your kids to obey the way that you would hope that they would obey. Maybe you've got some older kids in the room and they just want nothing to do with church. They've kind of run the opposite direction. But whatever it is, maybe some of you found your posture this morning and you've said, God, if you actually cared for me, then I wouldn't be going through this situation. If you actually love me, God, I wouldn't find myself here. Maybe you've found yourself posturing just like the Israelites in Exodus. Five years ago, my family returned from spending time as church planners in South Asia. Uh, We were there for a couple of years, and it was a very difficult country. It was a very difficult context, but we got to see some fruit as we were working amongst unengaged, unreached people groups, and we got to see many people get saved, many disciples made, and we got to see a number of churches start in places where there was no church so we, we kind of left on a, really on a high of, man, look at all that God did. And, and we returned, and I did this very passively, and I didn't realize in my own heart, but I, I returned, and I started posturing myself differently with the Lord. At this time, I had a family of four. I had no job, and we had barely any belongings, because if any of you have over, lived overseas, you know you usually get rid of all your belongings. So we kind of found ourselves in this situation. And my posture had turned to saying, God, I, I went to one of the most difficult places in the world, a place that most American Christians will never go. Most won't even set foot there, but I lived there. I had a child there, and I ministered among unengaged, unreached people groups. God, you now owe me. This was a posture that, I, once again, I didn't realize. I wouldn't have written it down on paper. If you had asked me, hey, what do you, what do you think now that you're back? I wouldn't have told you this, but as I reflect back five years ago, I had, I had felt like I had arrived and that God owed me now. I said, God, I'm a varsity Christian. I left the JV squad. I left sitting in the comfortable chairs in the American church. I left living in a cool, hip city like Portland. And God, I'm in this hard place working in villages. I'm now a varsity Christian. And so you owe me. And I demanded, just as we see the Israelites demanding God, I demanded that he give me a full-time job, not just any job, a specific job, a nice, comfy, full-time ministry position. And you know what? God didn't deliver. Not as I demanded anyway. He did deliver, but not as I was demanding him to deliver. But God took me on a journey of learning what it meant to truly abide in him, to trust in him and his provision. Up until that point, God had provided for me. God had provided my life time and time again. And yet somehow I found myself going, God, you owe me. And I'm questioning who you are. I found myself in a very dark season. It was probably Although it was hard to transition to life overseas, my first year back in the U.S. was probably one of the most difficult life, uh, years of my life. It was a very, very dark season. I really found myself questioning God, and God, what are you doing? Um, this is kind of a side note, but within that is when God started stirring a move to Portland and to, and, to, and to plant a church. And yet, maybe God's speaking to me this morning, because I even find myself in this difficult season in this difficult city trying to start this church, going, God, what are you doing? Why did you bring me here? At times, I feel like God brought me out in the wilderness by bringing me to Portland. Although it's comfortable, and there's really good food, and there's really good coffee, it's like, God, what are you doing? You brought me here with what I thought was this promise to start this church, but 
man, I'm just not seeing it. I feel like I'm in the wilderness here. And so maybe some of you are with me this morning. Maybe you found yourself in the exact same place. For this group that we read about in Exodus, these Israelites, it eventually led to them not entering the promised land. And the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing could happen to us if we do not believe. Hear that with me. The author of Hebrews, I'm going to read uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. And he's saying that same thing could happen to us. For these Israelites, these particular ones, they didn't make it into the promised land. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Once again, let that sink in. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you. So Red Sea, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God. Not only does God provide them with water, but he provides an answer to the question of knowing God. And God then takes the place on Moses, on that rock, and Moses strikes God. So once again, the people of Israel, they're the ones who should be on trial. But God stands in their place as those that should be accused. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this perhaps sound like what we want? We should celebrate every Sunday, but something we're going to celebrate here in just a few weeks in the month of April as Easter is coming up, that we get to celebrate God standing in our place just like he stands in the place of the Israelites. Some of you are struggling going through a hard time right now, and I do not want to diminish that. I don't want to undermine that at all. But perhaps it's led to grumbling. Perhaps it's led to complacency. Perhaps it's led to apathy. But we need to remember that God is providing us with living water. And God is a good, good Father, and He is a provider for us. Most of you are probably familiar with the New Testament story of the woman at the well from John 4. He talks about living water. And and Jesus says to the woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the, the actual water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So God provides us with living water. In this story, Moses struck the rock instead of the people. You know, if I'm the leader at this point and they're picking up stones and they're ready to stone me, I'm grabbing the staff and I'm starting to swing it. I'm starting to hit the people. I'm looking like Star Wars. Like, complainers, this is the third time. But no, God provides and says, strike me instead. And water flowed and it saves the people. Eventually, Jesus the rock would be stricken for your salvation and my salvation. And instead of striking us, God strikes his son. So there's really just a couple of proper responses to this passage. The first is to trust God with daily provision for your life. Before we start the service back here, which I think is pretty standard, a a group of, of the elders and some other prayer team people meeting there and they pray. And even there, we express some concerns and anxieties and worries. Life is tough. I get that. I also have struggles and, 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 and worries and doubts. But this passage, in one way, the response is remembering that God does provide for us. It won't always necessarily be the way you want. 
and it won't necessarily come at the time that you want, right? Remember at the very beginning of my, on my trip down through the Olympic National Park, within like 30 minutes, I would have been like, God, provide me some food and water. God made me drive three and a half hours with complaining children. The second response is to trust in God's Son for your deepest needs as salvation alone belongs to Him. Anytime I, I get a chance to preach, especially a congregation I'm not very familiar with, I don't, I don't want to assume that everyone is following Christ Jesus. So if you have found yourself in this room this morning and, and you're not certain where you are in your relationship with God, hopefully you've seen this morning, this passage, that one, that God does provide for things like water when we need it, but also he's provided for your salvation. There's, there's some great leaders here, some great elders that can help explain this to you further. But I don't want you to leave here this morning if, if, you, if you're, you're wrestling through that and there's something that's in your heart stirring, you're not sure, I volunteer for, for Royce and Josh and Chris. They would love to stick around and talk to you. I'll stick around and talk to you to explain that to you further. Tony Morita, a pastor in North Carolina of these chapters from the last few weeks, he reminds us, he says, like Israel, we too are sojourners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who have crossed over to the other side by grace and are now on the way to the promised land. In this faith journey, in our wilderness, God is sanctifying us and teaching us to trust him, love him, and follow him. So the big idea today is that we need to learn some things from Israel's wilderness experience since their story is our story. So as a way of response, I'm going to have Tim come up. He's going he's gonna to lead us in, in music, and we're going to move into a response time um, through communion, which we do weekly here at, at Red Sea. This is a family meal, meaning that any person who has believed or trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation is, is welcome to the table. And that may have happened this morning. So if you think, man, I, I feel like I just now went from not trusting to trusting, then you're welcome to come and participate with us in this meal. This isn't the church that I'm part of, but I know that you guys do this weekly, which I think is great. But I want to remind you this morning that never let this just become another part of of the order of worship. You know, like, all right, we got to check this off. We, we did music, check. We took offering, check. We got a preaching, check. Now we got a communion, check. And let's get on to lunch. Really take a moment to, to soak in what this represents. And I want to remind you, this meal that you take is a celebration for what God has done on our behalf. Really that ultimate provision that he provided in his son, Jesus, through his life and through his death and through his resurrection for us. And it's a time of remembrance and a time of reflection and a time of repentance, both with God and with one another. Pray with me. God, we thank you for being the ultimate provider for us. God, we got to see a story today, really a story we could, we could place ourselves in. I have no doubt if we were in the crowd of the Israelites that we too would be grumbling. We would be complaining against you. And God, for that, we ask for forgiveness of our hearts. God, may we posture ourselves recognizing that we can trust in you because you are God. You are a God who can provide little things, things like water, things that we need for daily life and sustenance. But God, that you ultimately provide yourself and you answer the questions of life. What is life worth? What, what, what's the purpose of living? And God, you provide yourself through Jesus and you sent Jesus to die the death that all of us deserved so that we may have a restored relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you. We give you this time in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at 
www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.